0: Good morning. morning. Welcome home, family. So glad to see everyone here with us worshiping this morning. Thank you, uh, worship team, as always, for leading us in praise, preparing our hearts for the Word of God. We are continuing our series going through the book of Exodus, and we'll be finishing out Exodus chapter 17. And so if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along there, you can turn to Exodus chapter 17, we'll be starting in verse 8, but if you don't have no worries because we'll be, the words will be on the screen as well as uh, we dig into this. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time when we can come before you as your people, when we can gather together and sing songs together, pray together, learn together, study your word together, and grow together. Lord, I just pray for this time as we sit under your word that you open our eyes and you open our minds to the truth of who you are. That moves our hearts to not only know you, but respond to you and live for you. That we can be your people in all that we do and all that we think and all that we operate in. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So back in AD 311-312, The Roman emperors or deputy emperors kind of were wrestling for control over who was going to be the emperor of the known world. And one of those contestants, one of those people wrestling for control was a man named Constantine, later known as Constantine the Great. So maybe you know he's going to win. So... He's wrestling for control against someone and he's approaching Rome and he's about to face this big battle and he's facing an army that's four times as large as his army. And on the way, he sees a vision vision in the sky of a a cross of light and written in the sky is the words, under this sign, you will conquer. And he's kind of confused by this, but as it says, as he records in, uh, to uh, his biographer, he falls asleep that night, kind of troubled. How is he going to win this fight? And in this dream, Christ comes to him and says, hey, that sign was me telling you, if you bear my sign, if you take my sign before you, you will be victorious. And so when he rose up that morning, he chose to make a banner and actually put, put it on a pole, made a big symbol of the Cairo, the first two letters of Christ in Greek, the, the X and uh, that looks like a, more like a P, but a Cairo. And he put it on a banner. He fashioned those things on his men's shield. And they went out to battle and they won, which is why he becomes Constantine the Great. He becomes emperor. He's the emperor, Argue whether that was good or bad, but he kind of puts the seal of approval, and so the persecution that Christians were undergoing before then stops. But he really thought, he believed, and, and he said, hey, this is the symbol I was going to conquer under, and it's the symbol I was going to believe in, and he converts to Christianity personally because he thinks this is, this is the true God. It's interesting because I was thinking about the story we're about to approach in Exodus and how kind of similar it was to Constantine. Is that the people of Israel actually were victorious under a banner of God. They were victorious under their God who was their banner. So if you turn to your Bibles in Exodus chapter 17, we'll pick up the story in verse 8. So if you guys have remembered as we're going through the book of Exodus, the the people of Israel have been freed from Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, they've sang songs of praise for God, they've seen how his worked again and again, how he provided for them when they needed water multiple times, how he provided for them when they needed food, bread in the morning, quail in the evening, how God has been there for them from the get-go. And now the story continues as they're leaving this last little instance where they found some water, they found some relief uh, from, from being out in the wilderness. It says, Then Amalek came and fought and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did, as Moses told him, and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held out his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it the Lord is my banner saying I hand upon the throne of the Lord the Lord will have Amalek war with Amalek from generation to generation. It's one of those great interesting maybe even odd stories of the Old Testament that okay, we can read and we see God working in these miraculous ways but what should we take from this passage I was offered this that dependence on God leads to victory. It's a lesson that we've been learning from the very beginning of Exodus, that when people try to do it on their own, it doesn't work out, but God does There was nothing they did, but it was God who was acting and demonstrating his power again and again, that God wins the victory. It's a lesson that they they shouldn't know by now, but yet they have to be reminded again and again. It's a lesson that we should know in our own lives, but we have to be reminded again and again. And it's not about our own strength, but it's about how strong God is. It's not how we; are not doing it in our own power, but is working as God works in us with His power. That dependence on God leads to victory. And so, as we see the people of Israel, they're traveling out of uh, in the wilderness. They're traveling just from uh, this place. Where they had found, you know, these twelve palm trees, these twelve string—I uh, think it was twelve strings—and seventy palm trees, and so it's kind of relief. And then it says that Amalek fell upon them and started attacking them. It's this first instance of this guy named Amalek, or these people really named Amalek. And but if we go back to Genesis, we see that these are descendants from Esau, who was the brother of Jacob. So there could be some ethnic tensions between Israel, the sons of Jacob and Esau's descendants, Amalek, here. So they attack and they, they have this, 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 uh, this battle. It's actually the first military kind of skirmish of many as Israel seeks to take and move nowhere. So why did these people, of uh, these Amalek, Amalek, choose to attack Israel? Well, we could say, well, if they chose to attack, maybe they felt threatened. Because they were a nomadic tribe that kind of lived in this region. And the next thing they know, here are a million plus people traveling through the area. And they get kind of scared about what is happening. Are they here to stay? Are they here to take our resources? Maybe they were threatened because, hey, they're drinking up all of our water here in our oasis. They're eating all of our dates. I don't know, maybe dates grew in that oasis. They're eating up all of our, our, our food. We're scared about it, so we should attack them, drive them from our land. But whatever reasons, they chose to attack. And as the Bible speaks about this in other places, we know that they chose to attack in a cowardly fashion. For when we read in Deuteronomy about the same kind of battle, it says this in Jerome 25, 17, 18. It says, remember what Amalek did to you, son, the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. That we read, when we read Deuteronomy, we realize that this battle is Amalek actually attacked probably those who were f- lagging behind Israel, the children, maybe the women, maybe the, their kind of uh, their flocks. They, they sought to do harm against the weakest of Israel, and they were attacked them in that way, is how it was a coward. He, talking about Amalek, did not fear God which immediately puts us in the framework of opposition to God's people is opposition to God. And so when Amalek chooses to attack God's people, he's actually putting himself at odds against God and his plan for his people. And so we see actually this is a repeated occurrence again and again with other people who are against, not just God's people, but against God and his ways. But Amalek comes up again and again uh, throughout the story of Israel, uh, attacking them and, having, and uh, being kind of a bitter enemy against Israel. And it kind of plays out as an example of the opposition against God's people, that there are forces at work, people at work who do not want God God's plan to be successful doesn't want God's people to be successful, and so they attack. And so we see this attack as almost a type, an example of how there's opposition in this world against God, how God has moved forward with his people, but there's opposition against them. So Moses devised a plan. He says, hey, Joshua, gather some troops, take them out, fight against Amalek. And while you're doing that, I'm going to go up on a hill with the staff of God, and raised my hands. Now, if it was us, we might say, i the troops more, more troops maybe would be accessible. What are you going to do up on that hill? But you got to remember them in that context, as they've seen how God has worked, they knew when Moses took that staff upon the hill and raised his hands, that he was pleading on their behalf before God. And if God was paying attention as he is, and if God was going to work on their behalf, then they knew the victory was assured. Because dependence on God leads to victory. So Moses takes the staff and he climbs that hill and he takes Aaron with him and her, another, uh, another devout guy uh, from the Israelite people, and he goes up on top of his hill and he raises his hand. Now the staff was the staff that God told him to perform all these signs if, you, signs, if you remember through the book of Exodus. This is the staff that he threw down and become a serpent. This is the staff that he hit the Nile with and it turned into blood. This is the staff that he struck the rock with, just, this, uh, just the last little section, and water came out of the rock. This is the staff of God, the staff that God has used as a symbol. There's nothing magical about this one particular staff, but it, what it points to The staff points to who God is and his power and how he's worked for his people. And so when Moses goes up on the hill, he raises his hands. And when as long as his hands with the staff are raised, the people have victory. Joshua and the people. And so Moses needed help because his arms grew weary. Don't criticize him. He was 80 years old. His arms grew weary. And so he lowered them so we he needed help. So Aaron and her they grabbed a stone and said, Hey, sit down, Moses. And they rose and they grabbed his arms and held them up. And as long as his arms were held up, the people were victorious. I mean, we couldn't relate to that? If you ever have uh, worked out where the people just start telling you to do, like, you know, arm circles or raising your arms, you really quickly realize, wow, my arms are heavy. Maybe it's just me. I'm pretty buff. My arm's pretty heavy, right? Maybe it's just me. no. Arms get heavy. When you raise them up, they get heavy. Imagine holding a staff and you're 80 years old and you're raising hands. It gets heavy. In fact, I bet we could raise our hands right now, people who are able to, and you probably couldn't make it more than a couple minutes before you're like, I don't really want to do this anymore. Now imagine... You're standing on the hill, and you see your people in a battle for their lives. And as long as you raised your hands, they were victorious. And when you lowered them, they weren't. And you can imagine the sweat beating up on Aaron's, uh, on uh, Moses' brow as he did this. But he needed help. He could not keep his arms up for the duration of the battle. And he needed people to come there and help him in the midst of that. It's interesting what within the Old Testament, we read again and again that when people pray to God, how do they pray to God is they stood before God and they raised their hands to them and pleaded. We even saw it before back in Exodus when uh, Moses went out after the hell storm and, and uh, Pharaoh was like, hey, tell God to stop it. And Moses was like, okay. And he walks out and what does he do? He raises his hands and pleads to God in Exodus 9. He says, I will stretch out my hand to the Lord and the hell storm ended. We see people in the Bible again and again we're talking about how they went to the temple and how they prayed. They stood in the temple and they raised their hands to God. The psalmist says in Psalm 63, In your, uh, in your name I will lift my hands. And we see it even in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 2.8 where he says, I desire that in every place the men should lift holy hands. This is a posture of prayer. So why the text is not saying it, I really believe what Moses is doing here, he's not just standing idle. He's not just standing there with his arms raised, looking upon the battles fighting. What he is doing is asking God to intervene. What he's doing is raising his hands to God and saying, we trust you, God. You have provided for us in the wilderness. You brought us out of slavery. You opened up the Red Sea. We trust in you that this little battle is nothing compared to you. And so we raise our hands to you and we are praying to you. And he's beseeching God on behalf. Half of the people. He says, nevertheless, his actions were an unmistakable sign of dependence upon God alone to win the battle. Moses was holding his staff, the instrument of divine power, and the token of God's covenant promise. By holding it to heaven, he was appealing for God to defend his people. He's appealing for God to show his power by saving his people. That by Moses standing on that hill, or sitting on that stone, and his arms being held up, or him holding up, lifting that staff of of power, is that he is showing a dependence upon God. That he was saying, our victory is not how well Joshua can lead our men, not how strong they are, not how swift they can be into battle, but our victory is dependent upon how powerful and perfect our God is. And that he is dependent, and they are dependent upon God for the victory. And so he sits there with his arms lifted. That the army in Joshua was victorious. Why? Because God was at work. And they were dependent upon who he was. This posture of prayer reminds me of the fact that in our own lives, if we were to take the analog in our lives, it is Prayer. We don't go out on a hillside and we don't have to lift our arms. We're expressing that dependence upon God. For when you pray, that is what you're doing. When we pray, we're actually going to the one who can do something about something we can't do something about. When we pray, we're saying, life is a mess, I don't have it together, I'm not good enough, I can't figure this out, and I need your help, God. When we're praying, we're going to God confident, assured that he is a good God who loves us and listens to us and will respond to us. Then when we pray, we're doing the exact same thing, we're saying, I need you. That this life so often can feel like a battle and I can feel like there's things against me and against what you would want me to do and I can't do it out of my own strength. I can't do it out of my own knowledge or my own wisdom and I need you and so we go to the Lord in prayer knowing that he hears us and that he responds to us. That when we pray, we're expressing that same thing, that we're expressing a dependence upon God, knowing that in Him and only in Him we'll have victory. That it's not in ourselves, it's not in our power, it's not in who we are, but it's in God. And prayer is much like that staff. There's nothing magical about that staff. It was a symbol of God's power that pointed to who God is. In prayer, there's nothing magical in prayer. And we would have to do the incantations, right? right? We become magicians and people thinking if we just get our words and what we do right, or we pray hard enough, whatever that means, or if we just really are diligent in it, if we don't skip a time of prayer every day, maybe God responds. No, that's believing that the power comes from the prayer itself. But the power comes from who we're praying to. That when we pray, we're actually talking to the Almighty of the universe. When we pray, we're actually communing with our Father in heaven. And so we can be assured that He understands us and He stoops to our level. And as we stumble and, and, and forget words and stutter and all those things, he still hears us perfectly. And we have to promise us again and again how the Holy Spirit helps us in that. And so when we pray, we can be confident that it's not about getting words right. It's not about somehow working up some emotion in our prayer, but it's who we are praying to. That we pray and He loves us and He hears us and responds to us and that we can be dependent upon him because we know who he is, the God who works miracles again and again, the almighty God. The God makes all the difference in our life, for in God he brings victory, and we depend upon him, and we have the victory that he brings for us. I also love this story because it shows such a great example of corporate prayer the body praying together. It wasn't just Moses up on the hill by himself, for his arms grew weary and he had two men beside him and they held his arms up for him. I love that. It's a great picture of what happens when we pray together as the body of Christ. It's not just one person praying on behalf of everyone. It's everyone praying together, lifting our arms up together, holding each other up together, bringing the needs to God together as a body of Christ that corporate prayer actually unites us in our faith as we listen to, to other believers, our brothers and sisters speak to God on our behalf, on other behalfs, on their own behalf. It unites us together, it encourages us because as we pray together, we realize, hey, they're just like me. Hey, they stutter over words just like me when they're praying. Hey, they have the same fears and the same needs just like me and it encourages us that we're in this together. And it brings us together as a body as we pray together and trust God together in this great example that we need brothers, sisters in our lives to help us keep our hands lifted to God. Because dependence upon God leads. And as Moses is celebrating this victory over Amalek, he actually describes God in a new name that the Lord is my banner. Yahweh Nishi, the Lord is my banner. A banner was that military device, something that you put up on a pole that would lead armies, that people would march under. It was something that gave identity to armies, that other people could look across the field and say, oh, that's so-and-so. Why? Because we see their banner. It was something that organized the army around, that when the banner moved forward, they people moved forward. When the banner retreated, people retreated. It was something that people looked to for, to gain their bearing and to know who they were. They looked to that banner uh, for, for hope. When I, was be- when I was back, I believe in the 10th grade, I had to read uh, The Red Badge, Badge of Courage, Stephen Crane, and I just, I don't know why that's burned into my head, but it's an old book about the Civil War, and he talks about how the most, uh, the bravest person in the kind of units was given the, the, the flag, the banner of the, the unit to carry. Why? Because they didn't have a gun. But the most brave, and they had to be brave. Why? Because they would march into battle holding that banner because they knew the banner was so important. Because if that banner was to retreat, run away, everyone would run away. But if the banner kept on moving forward, everyone would move forward with it. And so you get this idea that the Lord is my banner, that that's what we look to, that's what we identify ourselves to, and we conquer under that banner that it moves still and they see Moses pointing to God in heaven and they knew they were going to be victorious. Why? Because they were depending upon who God was. And the Lord is our banner as well in the same way. I mean, we're not forming military units and going out to conquer some enemies, but he's still our banner. As he moves forward, we look to him for guidance. The Lord is our banner and that's where we regroup that when we meet together as God's body in a very real way, we're hanging the banner of Christ above us all and saying, we regroup under this. We rally to this. We look to him for instruction to guide us. And where he goes, we follow. We march under his banner. For it's only under the banner of Christ that we get victory, true victory. And it's only under the banner of Christ where the church starts to expand and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. As we look to him and follow him and march along with him. And when we read the story of Amalek, it's a very historical, true story. It truly happened as these people attacked Israel. But it's also what we would call a type that points to a deeper reality. That it is pointing to the reality that there's conflict that comes against God's people, and we can apply it to ourselves and put ourselves in its shoes and both so been delivered redeemed Israel was redeemed out of Egypt we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ from sin death we have both been redeemed. We're both being uh, led to a promise. Israel is being led to the promise of the promised land. We are being led to the promise of, a, of being with God forever in eternity. We are both in that same way. This is reality in that when we look towards the ultimate victory, it's not a military victory. It's not even, I would argue, a physical victory here. It is actually the victory that Christ gives us where we triumph over all. As we see in Colossians 2, it says, he disarmed the authorities and rulers and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. How he do that? He did it on the cross. That he brought this total ultimate victory and he is the banner lifted high for us to look to. Our Christ crucified for us. We look to him and know that we have victory in him wide because all of our sin, everything that kept us separated from God has been now poured upon him. All God's wrath against sin, his rightful wrath has now been poured upon Christ as he was lifted high for us. And now we look to him and know what a salvation we have. We look to him and now know who we are in him. We look to him and now know how we are supposed to respond as we seek to follow him. And we know we'll have victory. We know nothing we will be his people and he'll be our God. And he'll wipe every tear away and there'll be no mourning. There'll be no more evil. There'll be nothing wrong in this world again anymore as we're with our God. But in the meantime, we're still waiting that promise. In the meantime, we still depend upon God. And how do we do that? We lift our hands to him in prayer. We pray to Him knowing we cannot do this life on our own, so we pray. It's an encouragement for all of us to expressly kind of vocalize our dependence upon who God is and actually be diligent in our prayers and connecting to the reality of who our God is and, and express our worries, express our anxieties, express the ways we need help, express you know, ways we need, to see people need help. We we'll express how the church needs to grow as as we see it and we express those things to God, and we express our dependence upon Him as we pray. But we also do it together. Just like Aaron and her held up Moses' arms, we come together and we pray together. Which is a challenge. I don't know if your small group is like my small group, but sometimes we're like, all right, who wants to pray? It can be cricket. We get overly concerned about maybe how people hear us or what we should be praying for. And we get too caught up in our head, but this would encourage us that we need to be together praying for each other. And we could do that quietly. But there's such a great benefit when we circle around each other and we lift up our needs and we lift up what's going on in our life and we pray for people we know or we don't know and we take those worries and concerns to God. We need to be doing that together. And so this could be a challenge for some of us. If you're in a small group, I challenge you, maybe volunteer to pray. If you guys have a meal, I'll give you a hint. The easiest one is to pray before the meal. It's the easiest one. You can do it, but you can be challenged and you can be moved forward to let's pray together. We, we meet together before service at 9 a.m. back in the kids' wing to pray. And if you, if, you, if you want to be challenged, come there and actually lift your voice with other saints to God in prayer. That we need to be praying to him. Because it reminds us that we're not alone. It reminds us that it's not under our own power. It reminds us that we don't have to have it all together. For God is our banner, and we follow him, and in him, as we depend on him, his victory. And even if we don't feel that sometimes, we have brothers and sisters who are then on either side of us who make it very clear in our voice to God. And in all of these things, we depend upon God for he does it. He's the one who saves us. He's the one who's going to get us through this life. He is the one who's going to make sure that he's going to bring us to completion in that day when his son returns. We depend upon him and we trust him and we lift our voices to him. Let us pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for you and how you love us. Lord, thank you so much that we can know you and respond to you and see the truth in, these, in this, this account of how you have moved, how you still love us, how you have worked in history to, to deliver your people and how you continue to work in our history to deliver us in the ways we need to be li- delivered, but ultimately to be delivered from sin through Jesus Christ. Well, I just pray for all of us that we can be challenged and meet that challenge to pray, to lift our voices together, Individually and corporately in all the situations that we're called to or need to or feel that anxiety or just need to be dependent upon you which is all the time. Lord, we love you, we seek you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name.